I'm looking for Wally Lunderville. I think he's probably out in the parking lot. Just to let you know, we did some research on the numbers. Wally has been ushering for a long time, and we wanted to make sure we had it right and accurate. He retired two weeks ago saying um, he, it, he wanted to retire from that. He's in, his, he's in his 80s, and we discovered that Wally's been part of this church for 55 years, and he's ushered for 54, okay? Just so you know. <laughs> Wally, that's for you. There are three words in the English language, three words that are harder to say than any others. We will do almost anything to avoid saying them. These three words in a particular order, in a particular grouping, are very difficult to say, but impossible to avoid. These three words, I forgive you. I forgive you. People do things every day for which they need forgiveness. We do things to other people that need to be forgiven. Some of us need more forgiveness than others. We commit more offensive, or maybe we're just more offensive, whatever that might be. But forgiveness, forgiveness, what, what is it? Who needs it? In the give and take of life, there are times we need to be forgiven, and we need to forgive. Forgiveness is a lesson most of us learn first at home as children. Say you're sorry, I forgive, you know, you know how it goes. Or as a husband or wife, or as a parent. But forgiveness extends much further to relatives and work partners, classmates, friends, roommates, even enemies. Enemies? We'll talk about this some other time. That's what Jesus said. But today we're finishing our study in the book of Genesis. Finally, you're going, wow, we've been in this a long time. Finishing Genesis with the life of Joseph, which we've been in for the last four, four Sundays. And for Joseph, we discovered life only makes sense when you look at it backwards, but he had to live it forwards. He was the recipient of envy, jealousy, false accusation, and imprisonment. He experienced betrayal, slavery, injustice, isolation, and temptation. He was absolutely forgotten and left to rot in prison. And he was innocent. He, he didn't do anything to deserve any of those things. And as the story unfolds, we've seen how Joseph responded each step along the way. And after 13 years of slavery, he was elevated to the position of prime minister of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. Joseph had been tested, he passed all the tests, and God in his sovereignty now elevated him to the very top. Then, if you've read the story, and I told you to please read this, because we can't cover all of the story, Joseph encounters his brothers who had betrayed him and sold him into slavery. These are the ones that were responsible for his suffering. And how did Joseph respond? How did he respond? Today we're going to study forgiveness, the need to ask for forgiveness, and the need to forgive. And most importantly, we want to look at the role God plays in our lives, revealing the need for forgiveness, and the fact that God is in control of all, all circumstances. How we can learn to trust God, even for those things that require forgiveness. 
Now, Joseph's brothers had come to Egypt to buy food since there was a famine in Palestine where they were living at the time. And Joseph, as we enter the story today, had just finished running his brothers through a series of tests, tests of character. And I want us to join the story as we turn to, as we look at Let It Go, Let It Go, Seven Principles of Forgiveness, Genesis 45. It's on page 39 in the Bible in the the rack in front of you. Genesis 45. And we are going to read verses 1 through 15 of Genesis 45. And then we'll jump into chapter up from there. Verse 1, then Joseph could no longer control himself. He was seeing his brothers and introducing himself. So he could not control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone, everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph came to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed, distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made my father made me father to Pharaoh, the lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me the lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. Then Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. Following this time, Joseph's father and the entire family moved to Egypt. There's a great reunion And after they've been settled a while, Jacob dies. 17 years in Egypt and Jacob passes away. And we pick it up again in chapter 50, verse 15, page 44. Verse 15 of chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servant of of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What an incredible story. We could talk about a lot of things, but today I want us to look at seven principles of forgiveness. Seven principles of forgiveness that we find in this narrative. The first principle, number one, is our sin will always be found out. Our sin will always be found out. Now, because God loves us so much, He knows our sin must be dealt with in order for us to have peace. When someone hides their misdeeds and conceals them and buries them, it begins to eat away at their souls. It will gnaw at our insides, causing pain and suffering. Many times, unforgiveness will even cause physical sickness. And God, in His love and grace, always sees to it that our sin is revealed so that we can forgive and we can be forgiven. Our sin will always be found out. Forgiveness brings restoration of relationship and brings restoration of life. Joseph's brothers had sinned against Joseph. They had betrayed him. They had sold him into slavery. Joseph's brothers had sinned against God 20 years previous. Can you imagine the turmoil, the guilt and the pain and regret that they suffered over those 20 years? Until, until their sin was finally brought out. They probably wondered many times if, if they were ever going to be able to make things right. Talk about regret, just profound, profound regret. Have you ever done anything that you regret? Anybody? Everybody? Okay, I see all those hands. <laughs> I'm in good company. It's painful. The, the if-onlys, the if-onlys. If only I hadn't done that. If I could only take those words back. Or if I could take back my angry reaction or my hurtful act. It would be unusual, unusual indeed, if anyone here does not live with some kind of regret. Sometimes it wakes you up in the middle of the night. Circumstances remind you of the stupid thing you did or said. All of us, we all deal with regret. And Joseph's brothers lived with profound regret for 20 years. We find their confession in Genesis. I want to read just a couple of verses in Genesis 42. In Genesis 42, this tells their regret. Verse 21, it says, They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. A lot of interesting twists in this story. Guilt. Those brothers had never forgotten what they had done. And the only way to dispense with guilt is to bring the sin to the surface, to, to deal with it. And God sees to it that eventually, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, our sin, our sin is found out so that we can deal with it. We can forgive and we can be forgiven. Now, God speaks to us in at least three ways probably more ways, but three ways to reveal our sin, something we've done wrong. First one is conscience. Conscience. It's in each one of us. It's the still, still small voice by the Holy Spirit that speaks to us about things. Secondly, 
circumstances. He may use circumstances. Here God used circumstances to reveal the truth, to reveal their past and their need for forgiveness. But the most common and most accurate way is the Word of God, letter C. God reveals to all of us in the greatest possible way through the Bible our, our need for forgiveness. In Romans 7, 7, it says, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, the Word of God, through the law. So where, where are you today? The question, where are you today? Is God speaking to you about your need to receive forgiveness for something you've done or to extend love and forgiveness for what someone else has done? It's just as serious an offense to not forgive as to do something that requires forgiveness. Our sin will be found out so that, so that we can forgive and we can be forgiven. The second principle of forgiveness, number two, is forgiveness requires a restoration of relationship to be complete. Forgiveness requires a restoration of relationship to be complete. For, for Joseph, that meant forgiving his brothers and restoring the relationship. For Joseph's brothers, that meant receiving Joseph's forgiveness and becoming friends again. Becoming friends again. It's called reconciliation. Reconciliation is the removal of the cause of enmity or the cause of conflict. That's reconciliation. And there's only one way to remove the cause of enmity or conflict, and that's forgiveness. Forgiveness. And, and, and forgiveness re- requires that restoration of relationship. Now, it's not, I forgive you, I'm just never going to talk to you again. Okay? It's not, I forgive you, I'm never going to relate to you again. I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. Okay? But that does not mean you have to return to your former spouse, but it does mean that you need to leave the door open to communication. It does not mean you have to go back into business with a business partner that swindled you. But it does mean that you need to speak with one another. It doesn't mean you necessarily trust the friend who betrayed your trust, but it does mean that you will extend your friendship. It does not mean moving back home to live with your parents, but it does mean reestablishing communication and mutual respect to honor your father and mother. Maybe the person you're forgiving will never forgive you. Maybe they'll never use the line of communication and openness that you've extended. But you have extended it by forgiving. That's your action. That's my action. And forgiveness requires the restoration of relationship to be complete. Complete. Now, we get into some irony here, which is number three. Number three, forgiveness is not dependent on the other person's response. Forgiveness is not dependent on the other person's response. You say, wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said you have to have restoration of relationship. Yes, to be complete, that is true. But sometimes forgiveness is unilateral. Sometimes it's one way. The other person does not respond. They just don't respond. I don't know if you've ever had a conflict with someone, you're mad and angry, hurt, and you wrestled with it for days and weeks and months, and since God told you to forgive and restore the relationship, 
You go to that person and, and you ask for forgiveness. And they say, sure, I forgive you. And then we wait. And we wait. And we wait for the, please forgive me too. But it never comes. It's infuriating. It's infuriating. I want to say, I take it back. If you won't ask forgiveness, I'm not going to either. They don't apologize. But forgiveness is unilateral. Forgiveness is one way. We must go to the other person unconditionally and ask for forgiveness. That's our responsibility. What they do in response is between them and God, not us. And that's hard, I know. I've experienced it. Expecting, I forgive you too, or I'm sorry, and they never do. Forgiveness is not dependent on the other person's response. Number four, obedience to God requires that we forgive those who have wronged us. Obedience to God requires that we forgive those who have wronged us. In the Old Testament, we find something called lex talionis, which is, we know it as eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was part of the system of justice. It was governmental. It was institutional law. So if you did something to someone, the government punished you in kind. And, and we have that today. Our laws, state and federal, spell out punishment in kind for crimes committed. But it has nothing to do with personal vengeance. In fact, Lex Talionis was instituted to limit personal retribution or personal revenge. Lex Talionis does not apply to personal relationships. That's, it's the legal system. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And we say, let me help. It's not the way it works. We can't do that. God says, let it go. He says, forgive. Forgive. Matthew 5, 23 through 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But for the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, forgiveness is not an option. It's a, it's a command. It's a command. For the follower of Jesus. Now, if anyone is innocent had a right not to forgive, it was Joseph because he had done nothing wrong. Yet, he forgave. He followed Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, what happens, what happens when we harbor unforgiveness? And I'm as guilty as the rest of you. I have at times harbored unforgiveness. I'm not going to forgive that person. First of all, the fruit of the Spirit will disappear from our life. The fruit of the Spirit will disappear from our life. Galatians 5.22 lists love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That will just kind of disappear if we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. Letter B, secondly, we will become a blamer or, or become a victim. It's everyone else's fault. I'm the victim here. The, the victim mentality is huge today. 
Joseph could easily begin to blame everybody else for his troubles. Instead, he trusted God and forgave. Letter C, we pollute those around us. We pollute those around us. Wow, Hebrew, that's strong. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Wow. Wow. Strong words. See, as Christians, we're part of a community. We're part of a, a body. We're interconnected. My attitude affects you. Your sin affects me. Our unforgiveness can defile others. Root of bitterness. What happens if we harbor in unforgiveness? Letter D, illness. Illness. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The context of verses 14 to 15 is physical illness. Harboring unforgiveness can make us physically ill. What happens when we harbor unforgiveness? Letter E, we retain our sins. Matthew 6, 14 to 15, we read, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's a parable we don't have time to get into. It's, in, it's found in Matthew 18. A parable the, called the parable of the unmerciful servant. A man owed a huge debt to somebody. It was compared to probably about $10 million. It was such a huge debt, there's no way in a lifetime or many lifetimes he could pay back this debt that he owed. He was unable to pay, and, and the, the result of that, his family was going to be sold, and he was going to be put in prison. And he begged for mercy, and he was forgiven his debts. An amazing, an amazing act of forgiveness. Ten million dollars. Oh, I'm going to forgive you. You're free. Well, he was so grateful to be debt-free that he went out and found a guy that owed him 20 bucks and said, pay up, 10 million, 20 bucks. And the guy didn't have it, said, please, please give me time. He said, no, and he had him thrown into prison and thrown out and sold. $10 million, 20 bucks. What's the lesson? We owe a huge debt to God, and he forgave our debt. Because of that, we are to forgive others. Forgiving others. Now, real important point here. Our willingness to forgive does not earn forgiveness. Our willingness to forgive demonstrates our having received God's forgiveness. Let me say that again. Our willingness to forgive does not earn God's forgiveness. Our willingness to forgive demonstrates our having received God's forgiveness. Obedience to God requires that we forgive. Seven principles of forgiveness. Number five. Number five. The results of forgiveness take time. The results of forgiveness take time. I believe, now I, I, I believe that Joseph forgave his brothers years ago, years before this happened. Maybe even when they sold him into slavery. We don't know. I don't believe that Joseph could have lived as he did, the ability to forgive Potiphar's wife, the cupbearer, without forgiving his brothers first. I think he lived a lifestyle of forgiveness. There's no record that Joseph ever became bitter, complaining, or resentful. 
he would never have had the positions of responsibility with that kind of an attitude. But the results of forgiveness take time. Sometimes it takes years. Years. Maybe it takes years for that restoration to take place. Judy and I served a congregation in Tacoma, Washington, years ago. And there was a couple in the church that did a horrendous thing to us and our family. It was, it was an unforgivable offense that caused incredible hurt and pain. They left and it was like, they, we, we had no way to contact them. We didn't know what happened to them. We wrestled with it. Anytime you get attacked or hurt you know, in, in, in your life, you, you, get, you get upset and, and you have to deal with it. We, we dealt with it and we, we believe we forgave them. We forgave them. 20 years later, <clears throat> 20 years later, I was attending a conference and I walked into this big conference hall and his name was Al, and I saw Al in the room, and he saw me at the same time. Now, we had forgiven. We'd never restored relationship. He came directly to me and asked for forgiveness. <laughs> I still get emotional. We hugged and cried for at least five minutes. People there were wondering, what are these guys doing? It was crazy. 20 years later, 20 years later, but God, see, sometimes forgiveness and restoration takes a long time. Don't give up on praying for restoration. We can forgive, but the, the restoration may take a long time. Don't give up. It takes time to forgive. And God works in our hearts to root out bitterness. And when we've been wronged, we move one of two directions. Okay, We're going to move one of two directions. You may not be able to completely forgive right away, but you're going to move one of two directions. Down towards bitterness, blame, and hatred, or up towards forgiveness, love, and reconciliation. Only two responses, up or down. And the question is, if you've been wronged, which way are you moving? It may take some time, but are you moving towards reconciliation and forgiveness? We may not feel like forgiving. Last time I checked, forgiveness is not an emotion. <clears throat> it's an action. It's not an emotion. I'm not sure we ever feel like forgiving. It's an act of faith as a result of obedience to God. Feeling like it is against our nature. So which way are you moving? Down to bitterness or up to forgiveness? Number six. God uses all circumstances in our lives to accomplish His will. God uses all circumstances in our lives to accomplish His will. One of the most incredible statements in this passage is chapter 45. Four to eight. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant. It was not you who sent me here. God sent me here. It was not you who sent me here. God sent me here. 
Stuart Briscoe says, on the one hand, he told them, you sold me. At the same time, he reminded them, God sent me. In no way was their responsibility diminished, but equally in no way had the Lord ever lost control. Ever. Never lost control. This is where trust comes in, where we have to trust God and say, God, I don't understand this. I was just wrong. They sold me into slavery. But as I see it now, looking at it backwards, it wasn't them. It was you. You, you sent me ahead. It's a balance in trying to seek that. In chapter 50, it said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You know, only, only God can do that. Only God can do that. When we understand that all circumstances, good, bad, ups and downs and injustice and betrayal, all acts that require forgiveness are carrying out God's purposes. To not forgive is to blame God. When we really believe God is in control, we don't blame, we believe. We don't condemn, we, we forgive. Ultimately, it was not the brother's hate that sent Joseph to Egypt, but God's love that sent him to Egypt. And for 20 years, Joseph saw no rhyme or reason. Life. It only makes sense when you look at it backwards. But we have to live it forwards. Do you trust God enough to forgive? There's a friend of mine who grew up in South Africa, and he told me a golfing story. Golfing story. Now, in the United States, our golf courses have sand traps and water hazards and hills and curves and trees. In Washington, we'll have random geese on the golf course. In South Africa, the main problem on the golf courses back then were monkeys. Monkeys. You would get this perfect drive landing right in the middle of the fairway. And out from the trees, a monkey would run and grab the ball and take off. It's true. How do you catch monkeys? How do you catch monkeys? Someone came up with an ingenious plan. They decided they would hollow out a narrow-necked gourd, narrow-necked gourd, and fill it with peanuts. So they have this gourd and fill it with peanuts. And then they place them all over the place on, on the golf course. And the monkey would come out of the trees and stick its hand in the gourd and grasp the handful of peanuts. And with its hands full of peanuts, it was too large to get his hand out. The monkey would not let go of the peanuts to remove his hand. And it would drag this gourd around, making him slow and easy to catch. We hang onto our hurts and wounds much the same way. I'm not saying they're peanuts or they're nothing, nor am I accusing anyone of acting like a monkey or descending from the same. But the principle is that we hang on to peanuts, the very thing that enslaves us rather than let go and be set free. Seven principles of forgiveness. Number seven, today, 
Today is the day for forgiveness. Today is the day for forgiveness. When we truly experience God's forgiveness, then and only then can we truly forgive. And the question I have today is, have you been wronged in the past? Have you been wronged? An uncle, a teacher, a father or mother, a husband, a wife, a step-parent, a brother, a sister, a Christian friend, a coach, maybe a pastor. Someone you trusted, someone you looked up to, admired and respected. And whether that happened last week or many years ago, today, today is a day for forgiveness. God wants to give you peace, the release, the freedom, and the joy that comes only from forgiveness. And no matter how big or small the offense, God in Jesus has forgiven you. Can you forgive? Can you let it go? Let's bow our heads for a moment, please. Close our eyes. Is there someone you are at odds with today? Someone you need to forgive? Or you need forgiveness. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone in this church. This week, God may be speaking to you about writing a letter, maybe sending an email, making a phone call, or making an appointment so that you, by God's grace, can let it go. Father, we just pray right now that you would speak to each and every one of us. There's not a one of us that has not dealt with this. And Father, I just pray that you would put your finger by your Holy Spirit, put your finger on that area that we need to forgive. That area that we need to reconcile. And God, supernaturally, maybe it was 20 years ago, like the relationship between Al and me Maybe it was 20 days ago. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was today. But I just pray, God, that you would make us able and willing to forgive. Sometimes by faith, saying, I'm just going to go by faith. That we can have peace and experience the whole goodness of God. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?